Hey guys, welcome back and thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Sherry, and you are listening to From the Dark Side Podcast. Today's story is about a man who was an actor and seemed to have it all at one point, but he is going to go down a downward spiral, which would ultimately end in his death. This story is truly crazy and bizarre. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and my sources are listed in the description area. This is episode 68, The Case of Johnny Lewis. Johnny Lewis was born in Los Angeles, California on October 29, 1983. His parents are Michael and Devona. He was their middle child. His dad was from the United States and his mom was from Canada. So Johnny had dual citizenships, United States and Canada. His parents were Scientologists and Johnny grew up practicing Scientology. I don't know a whole lot about Scientology, but his parents were at one of the highest levels of Scientologists. Johnny stopped practicing Scientology in his early 20s. He attended a children's performing arts school when he was five years old, and for his debut, he got to play the part of a Hanukkah candle. That is too cute. He also did Pizza Hut commercials and other small roles as a kid. After he left school at 18, He did what a lot of young people do. He headed to Hollywood to pursue an acting career. Now, every year, thousands of people go to Hollywood in pursuit of being famous, but only a handful actually make it. It's extremely difficult to get into the business unless you know someone famous or are recommended by them. Johnny was one of thousands at that time that actually made it in. He started out doing small roles like on Malcolm in the Middle and Drake and Josh. In 2005, he began dating a young woman named Katy Perry. This was before her mega stardom, though. They broke up in 2006. Sources say Katy Perry's song, The One That Got Away, was written about her relationship with Johnny. Eventually, he scored bigger roles in various TV shows and films, but his biggest role would come in 2008 when he got the part of a character named Halfsack on the show Sons of Anarchy. Halfsack was this young character who was one of the prospects. He was a normal recurring character. As a prospect, the club members were often giving him undesirable tasks to complete. He was kind of like the chore boy. He had to earn his way in to be patched into the club. A lot of the guys on the show are for real bikers, very little difference between themselves and the characters they play, but Johnny was not. During the filming of the show, when he wasn't on screen, he was often found sitting on the ground reading poetry and writing, which is completely the opposite of his character. He was very interesting and filled his mind with Nietzsche and other works like that. He also didn't drink or do drugs. He was known to drink tea and play chess until three in the morning. 
By April of 2009, Johnny is a full-blown celebrity. He's on the red carpet and attending events. He's starring in other TV shows as smaller characters, but his main gig is his full-time role on Sons of Anarchy, which is huge at this point. Johnny is also financially well-off and, according to one source, donated hundreds of thousands of dollars to charity. Later in 2009, Johnny is not really feeling his role on Sons of Anarchy anymore. He feels like the show is becoming too violent and it made him uncomfortable to portray such a character. He asked that his character be written off the show and the producers agreed to it. Even after other cast members and production staff told him he was crazy, this is a huge role and everyone loves you. You can be on the show for years and keep making a ton of money, but he still declined to continue. The producers don't want some cheesy departure like him just leaving town. They want Half Sack to go out with a noble ending. So for Johnny's last episode, he was trying to save a baby and he ends up getting stabbed in the stomach. Half Sack ends up getting patched into the club after his death, which was an emotional moment for fans. Fans are pissed and took to social media to complain about why Half Sack was killed off in the show. He was this charming guy and everyone really liked his character. But the real reason was because Johnny wanted to leave himself. I guess the writers thought it was better to just have his character killed off the show rather than having a replacement actor take over the character. For Johnny now, he is mainly taking on some small roles here and there, including playing a serial killer on Criminal Minds, which is odd because he left Sons of Anarchy for being too violent. He can survive long term on his Sons of Anarchy money, so he doesn't have to work all the time. He wants to write screenplays and poetry and novels. He had moved into this villa in Los Angeles where he is going to stay for a while. It's a beautiful house in the hills and it's more like a bed and breakfast type of inn. It was built in 1927. There's a sweet elderly landlady named Catherine Davis who is the owner. And the house was nicknamed the Writer's Villa because a lot of famous people will rent it out to do their writing and creative works. A few celebrities have said that if a pitch or audition went poorly, Miss Kathy would be there with open arms and homemade tamales. Her house was an emotional refuge for celebrities. So Johnny rents a suite on the second floor where he will stay for a bit. He really liked his elderly landlady, Miss Kathy, and all was well. That summer in 2009, Johnny learns that his girlfriend, Diane Marshall Green, is pregnant. She was an actress on Sons of Anarchy as well. Johnny is thrilled. He doesn't have any kids, and this would be his first. They hadn't been dating long, and they split up, but they did live together for a little while. The arrangement didn't end up working out, and he leaves. Eventually, there was this long custody battle over the little girl. Johnny didn't win, and custody of their daughter went to the mom. In October 2011, Johnny sets out for a long motorcycle ride just to clear his head. For some reason, he wasn't wearing a helmet. Friends say he had extensive motorcycle training on Sons of Anarchy and there were a lot of safety precautions, so for him not to wear a helmet is crazy. He gets about two hours outside of Los Angeles and he wrecks his motorcycle. He's on this winding, twisted road with beautiful landscapes. Keep in mind, he wasn't wearing a helmet and this motorcycle accident was pretty bad. He goes to the hospital and gets checked out for a concussion, and once it came back negative, he was allowed to leave. Family say that after that motorcycle accident, Johnny was never the same again. 
His dad picked up on some changes in Johnny and noticed his usually well-behaved son was acting erratically and impulsive. His dad thinks maybe the motorcycle accident caused some brain damage, so he scheduled his son to have an MRI done, but Johnny declines. His classmates at the acting school say he even began speaking in a British accent at times. Although harmless, it was odd for him to do that. But these changes in behavior would take a dark turn over the next few months. It's believed that whatever happened in that motorcycle accident is what caused the next few sets of events. Now it's January 2012. This is three months after the motorcycle accident. Johnny has moved back into his parents' condo. Now, I say living with his parents, but Johnny bought that condo for his parents, so he was living in his parents' condo that he paid for himself. Johnny is watching TV and wearing a t-shirt and pajama bottoms, just lounging, lounging on the couch. His mom is cooking dinner on the stove. He tells his mom he wants to go out for an evening walk. So two men who live in the neighborhood come home and find Johnny standing in their house. They ask him what he's doing and to get the hell out of their house. Johnny finds a glass bottle and charged at them. He hits them both on the head with the glass bottle. This is the first time Johnny had ever been violent before. This guy has never been in a fight or anything. A struggle between the three men takes place and they are fighting all over this house. They say they were punching Johnny in the head and it wasn't even phasing him. It was like he didn't feel any pain whatsoever. He was hit in the head a total of 17 times during this fight. The two men were finally able to overtake him and hold him down until the police came. Johnny is arrested, and when asked why he was in their condo, he explained that he thought he heard a baby crying in distress and was going in to save it. But as it turns out, there was no baby. Even if there was, babies cry. It's a normal thing to hear. This reminded me of his final episode of Sons of Anarchy when he was trying to save a baby and ends up getting stabbed. I don't know if there's a connection there. Maybe Johnny really did think a baby was in trouble or maybe he's just lying to the police. He's a great actor so he can lie and people will think he's telling the truth. Police charged him with trespassing, burglary, and assault with a deadly weapon and he was sent to the local jail. But after three days in jail, he is sent to the psychiatric ward for 72 hours for involuntary confinement due to his behavior at the jail. He kept banging his head on the concrete walls. He even tried to leap from a second story pier. When he is released to his father, his face is very swollen and he's bruised and beaten. He kept banging his head into things on purpose and it's not even phasing him. I'm sure this is causing even more brain damage his diagnosis upon release from the psychiatric ward was blunt head trauma and suicidal. When he comes home to his parents, his sister said he looked like a wild animal that had been in a fight. He won't let anyone come near him and he's extremely photosensitive to light. He wants to remain in a dark room. He would even go out and disable the fuse box so no one could turn on any lights in the house. He also attempted suicide during this time by slashing his wrists. A friend of Johnny's said he picked him up after one of his court appearances and he was shocked when he saw him. He says Johnny had the look of a war-torn veteran. He didn't make sense when he talked. He would go from being lucid to incoherent. 
On February 10th, 2012, Johnny was arrested in Los Angeles on assault charges against a woman. I don't know exactly what went down, but he served 12 days in jail. There's not a lot of info out there regarding this incident. Just a week later, he was arrested for breaking and entering. An older woman came home and found him going through her window. She called the police and Johnny tells them, it's okay, she's my friend. This woman is like, I've never seen this man in my entire life. In March, he had another breaking and entering charge. He was charged in a separate incident. These arrests just keep coming. He was on the beach at a yogurt shop. He finds this nice family and he begins talking to them. They say their goodbyes, the family is leaving and walks away, when Johnny runs up behind them and just punches the dad for no reason. The guy didn't even know it was coming. The guy also happened to be an off-duty police officer. Johnny is arrested for the incident and taken to jail, but he pays the $20,000 bond and is released. Just a few days later, he is on the beach again and walks right into the water fully clothed. He ended up getting hospitalized for hypothermia. Keep in mind, all of these incidents happened in the span of one to two months and six months after the motorcycle accident. He also missed multiple court hearings. I know what a lot of you are thinking, where are his people? Why didn't anyone help him? A source close to him said his parents made valiant efforts to get him help, but he was uncontrollable. In an article written by Bill Jensen for LA Magazine, He says, part of the problem, according to his father, was that Johnny had yet to receive a clear diagnosis. Was he bipolar, psychotic, or as his father believes, suffering from traumatic brain injury? His dad says, we got the motorcycle head injury, then he's beaten in the head 17 times during the first break-in. Then when he's in jail, he's pounding his own head against the concrete and attempting to leap from the second-story pier. Then you have the doctor's own diagnosis of brain trauma, and that's just the stuff we know about. Johnny does spend some time in jail while awaiting other trial dates. His lawyer is trying to get the court to let him stay at a substance abuse treatment center instead of jail. The issue is that Johnny doesn't really have any major substance abuse issues, so they use marijuana as his drug of choice, saying he's addicted to marijuana. Even Johnny thought this was funny, but they had to find something to claim he was addicted to in order to have a reason for him to spend time at the treatment facility in lieu of jail. In May of 2012, Johnny is transferred from the jail to the treatment facility. This is a facility that allows its patients to go horseback riding and do art classes and yoga, and it sounds like a much better place than prison, even with curfews and therapy sessions. It seemed like Johnny was improving mentally. He wrote in June 2012, felt more whole today, more complete, like parts of myself had been stolen in my sleep and scattered all over the world. And now they've begun to return. I'm more determined than ever now. I'll face what I am, I'll face what I was. He's got this big trial coming up from his assault on the men using the glass bottle, even though he claims it was self-defense. He was charged with assault with a deadly weapon, which can carry a hefty sentence. His lawyer tries to strike a deal with the court. Johnny would spend one year at the treatment center instead of one year in jail. The court agrees this would be okay. Johnny says, no way. This was like the deal of the century, and he says no. He fires his lawyer and says he's going to represent himself. He's so determined to prove it was self-defense and he doesn't need a lawyer. 
The treatment facility deal is off the table now, and the judge ultimately ends up sentencing him to a year in jail. He doesn't get to go back to the treatment center. He's placed in handcuffs and taken back to jail where he would serve his one-year sentence. Six weeks after Johnny goes back to jail, this is September 21st, 2012. Johnny has a strange turn of luck. See, the jail had become severely overcrowded and they have to free some prisoners. The courts decide that Johnny would be one of the ones to be released. Johnny served six weeks of a one-year jail sentence. Talk about a lucky break. Johnny is released from prison. This is the first time in months Johnny hasn't been in jail or the treatment center. He's a free man. It's a Friday and Johnny checks into a local hotel. On Sunday, his dad takes some clothes shopping. He asks him if he wants to go back to the treatment center and he declines. Instead, he tells his dad to contact that nice old lady, Kathy Davis, at the writer's villa, where he stayed before, see if she has an available room. She assured his dad the room was available and she would have it ready for him. She remembered Johnny being the sweet, quiet actor guy who spent his days writing and reading. Johnny's dad never bothered to mention to the woman that his son was mentally unstable now and suffering with all these issues, and he's had multiple arrests and assaults in the time since she last saw him. The next day, his dad calls him, and Johnny is angry. What do you want? I'm busy. He calms down after a minute and says, I'll talk to you tomorrow. This would be the last time his dad ever spoke to him. On September 26, 2012, Johnny has been out of jail for only five days now. He's staying at the writer's villa. Mom and dad are back home and praying Johnny can just stay out of trouble. Johnny goes outside and walks over to the neighbor's yard. The man's name is Dan Blackburn, and he is 70 years old and lives next door with his wife. Dan has a house painter there painting his deck. Johnny comes over, and Dan said he was the skinny guy and he was sweating and not wearing a shirt. They had noticed him pacing back and forth for a bit. He had intense blue eyes and a fierce look. He says, hi, I'm John, your new neighbor. Dan says, it's nice to meet you, John, and goes back to what he was doing while the painter continues painting. 30 minutes later, Dan is inside and hears his wife, Gloria, screaming outside. Dan runs out and Johnny is attacking his house painter, pummeling him with punches. Blood is going everywhere. He's beating the hell out of this painter. Dan tries to pull him off and is yelling for him to stop. But remember, he's a 70-year-old man himself. Johnny jumps up and punches Dan in the eye, and he falls to the ground. Dan said no matter how many times they hit Johnny, it didn't faze him. He even hit him on the head with a chair. He appeared to have superhuman strength and was immune to pain. Dan, his wife Gloria, and the painter were able to escape Johnny. They run into the house with Johnny trailing right behind them. They get inside and go to close the door to barricade themselves in, and Johnny's arm is inside the house. They slam the door on his arm a few times until it finally slithers away. That sounds so painful, but it didn't faze him. They watch through the window as Johnny runs away and jumps the fence. Then he's at the wooden fence that surrounds the writer's villa, and he begins scaling it and goes inside the house. Dan said he looked kind of like Spider-Man. Dan calls the police and reports that they were brutally assaulted by his neighbor he just met. The police said they received other calls of a woman screaming from neighbors, and they were on their way. 
Johnny goes inside and sees Kathy Davis, his 81-year-old landlord who had run the house for generations and was loved by many folks. There, he beat and strangled her to death. She was found in her bedroom, along with a bloody hammer. Her autopsy revealed her cause of death was blunt head trauma and strangulation. I know a lot of you are okay with hearing about human deaths, but struggle hearing about animal deaths. Next, I'm gonna describe an animal death, so I'll give you the opportunity to skip ahead about 15 to 20 seconds if you're not comfortable hearing about it because it's very graphic. Johnny walks into the bathroom and finds Kathy's cat, Jesse, and kicks it. He didn't use the hammer he killed Kathy with, Instead, he grabbed the cat and tore it apart with his bare hands. The cat was found completely dismembered. There's a lot of confusion about if the incident with Kathy happened before or after his altercation with the neighbor, but either way, both incidents happened within 27 minutes of each other. He ransacks the entire upstairs, then goes to the balcony or roof where he either fell or jumped. It's not confirmed if this was an accident or suicide. He lands on the driveway and fractured his skull. When the police show up, the lifeless body of Johnny was laying in the driveway. They found him laying face up with his arms on his side and a trail of blood leading from his body. He was 28 years old, A once promising actor who was philosophical and quiet and walking the red carpet with Katy Perry on his arm, he was gone. I know many of you, including myself, are thinking this guy is on some serious synthetic drugs, PCP, bath salts or something at that level. But the tests ran during the autopsy, confirmed there wasn't a single drug or drop of alcohol in his body. He was stone sober. Remember from earlier, Johnny didn't have many substance abuse issues. Yes, he'd used drugs before, but his mental state and brain damage were the biggest culprits. He had to use marijuana addiction as a way to get into the treatment program. Some sources state that he did use drugs for a while, others state he rarely did, but at the time of his death, he didn't have any drugs or alcohol in his system, so this was not a drug-fueled rage. He never got a clear diagnosis of his mental health He also refused MRIs to see how much the accident had affected his brain. The autopsy will show extensive damage that he had fallen and landed on the driveway, so we don't know how much brain damage was from that isolated incident. Prior to him falling, he had the motorcycle accident without a helmet and all those other times where his head was hit. All the banging into the cement wall with his forehead, his brain had to be severely damaged. Remember, he was sensitive to light afterwards as well, even disabling the fuse box and removing light bulbs. His eyes were severely swollen when his dad first picked him up from the psychiatric ward. The autopsy showed that he had nail marks on both sides of his neck and he was partially strangled. This means Kathy was fighting back, even at 81 years old. He had lots of fractures and hemorrhaging. The autopsy report reads, The descendant is a 28-year-old white male who had rented a room at the house two days ago. On 9-26-2012, at 10.30 a.m., Los Angeles police dispatchers started receiving 911 calls regarding a woman screaming from residents in the area. At about the same time, the descendant jumped over the fence to the neighboring residence and became involved in a physical altercation with a painter working at that location and two adult residents. The descendant then jumped back over the fence to the above location and returned to the residence. When Los Angeles police officers arrived at the location, 
They found the descendant lying supine near the top of the inclined driveway. Supine means laying flat with your hands at your sides. He was noted to have head trauma. Los Angeles Fire Department Engine 56 arrived at the location and examined the descendant. He was found to have no signs of life and death was pronounced at 926 2012 at 1057 a.m. As police continued to search the residence, they discovered a female descendant in the residence. The descendant, Johnny Lewis, is believed to be the suspect in the homicide death of this female who is believed to be the homeowner and his landlord. The residence is located on a terraced hillside with the driveway below the level of the house. It appears that the descendant jumped over a wrought iron railing at the top of the terrace to drop down to the driveway below during his attempt to flee the location. During this jump, the descendant lost his balance and landed on the concrete driveway headfirst. A blood splatter is noted on the driveway below the railing. The descendant's momentum caused him to slide across the driveway where he came to a rest along the outside edge of the driveway. So the tabloids and news stations are having a field day with this one. Sons of Anarchy star kills elderly lady and cat and then dies. Suddenly Johnny's face is all over the place. Dan the neighbor said he had no idea Johnny was the celebrity actor. He just met him 30 minutes before. Katy Perry didn't release a statement. Her team likely advised her to keep quiet about this one and distance herself from the negative publicity, but sources say she was devastated about the events. Many paid tribute to Johnny online and said he had went bad and was once a great guy. Kurt Sutter, the creator of Sons of Anarchy, didn't really hold back. He said of Johnny's death, quote, It was a tragic end for an extremely talented guy who unfortunately had lost his way. I wish I could say I was shocked by the events last night, but I was not. I am deeply sorry that an innocent life had to be thrown into his destructive path. Johnny was once riding high and living the Hollywood dream. He fell quickly from grace and into an early grave at just 28 years old. His mother died eight years later in 2020 after a lengthy cancer battle. I watched some of the videos of Johnny on YouTube that fans have made. I found it odd that not a lot of people comment on his crimes, but rather just rest in peace and many talk about his character on Sons of Anarchy and how much they miss him. I agree with a lot of the folks that say Johnny could have turned out better if he had been treated for his brain injury. Katherine Davis, who was 81 years old, was known to be full of life. She was born in Texas but came to Los Angeles in the 1950s to attend UCLA. She was married and had a daughter, but at some point her marriage ended and there was this big women's rights movement happening at the time. She was the epitome of a modern independent woman. She moved into the writer's villa, a beautiful home built in 1927 where she would stay for the rest of her life. In her old age, she enjoyed spending time with her cat, Jessie. She was busy writing a biography of the mother of William Randolph Hearst. She had yard workers and maids at her home, so she didn't have to do any kind of work there except greet the visitors, make food for them, talk with them, and keep them company. She was known to be a local Hollywood legend to aspiring actors. People describe her as a saint to anyone who needed her. Actor-comedian Taylor Negron paid tribute to her by saying, Over time, I stayed in every room in the house and became a part of that household, made up of equally eccentric types that came to Lowey Road to stay while in artistic transit or retreat. Kathy was always catering meals for us from local restaurants, and long after I moved out, I would attend these long dinners on her flagstone terrace 
where you would meet Dutch movie stars or violin soloists from Japan. Actors and writers put their best face forward as Kathy demonstrated to them that their dreams were not far from reach. Someone on YouTube made a lengthy tribute video to Johnny, a user by the name Marina23Muffy. In the description, they say that they received a letter from Johnny's dad in 2012. They have reached out to him wanting the real truth about Johnny. Keep in mind, not everything you read on the internet is true, obviously, but this user posted what they claim Johnny's dad wrote back to them. I wanted to share it on here because it gives us a glimpse into their side. Dear Marina, thank you for your letter. I do feel your pain and sorrow. This whole year has been a nightmare for our family, from which we hope in vain that we will wake up. Johnny became inactive as a Scientologist and as a Jew, we are also Jewish, some years ago. We respect and still respect his decisions. He is a great artist and artists, unlike the rest of us, not only have to find their own way, they must create their own way. And Johnny did and continues to do so. We were an extremely close-knit family. I visited Johnny every week while he was in jail and when he was in rehab. I also took him to his court appearances and went to the batting cages with him on the times he was let out of rehab for an hour or two here and there. We had great talks. We talked about baseball and about French romantic literature and about the state of arts in America and elsewhere. By the fact that you knew to contact me, here's this tells me that you've been reading the media about him. 95% of what they write is untrue. If you must feel bitterness in your heart, though, direct it to the psychiatrist and the law enforcement officials in whose hands he was this past year. They completely and arrogantly misdiagnosed him. The toxicology report just released confirms that he was 100% drug-free. His problem was never drugs. About a year ago, Johnny was in a motorcycle accident and suffered head injuries. He should have gotten, but didn't receive, an MRI. Shortly thereafter, his thinking and his behavior became bizarre. In January, he was pounded to a pulp around the face and head by a man twice his size. In prison, he suffered additional head injuries from unclear causes. The prison doctors diagnosed him as having brain injuries and internal bleeding. The symptoms of brain injury include sensitivity to light, unfocused eyes, illogical, sometimes violent behavior, inability to make decisions. Johnny had all of these. His sensitivity to light was such that he would prefer to sit in a room with all the lights out illuminated by one candle. Each and every psychiatrist and law enforcement official had this information about Johnny. We begged them to take it into account. They refused, insisting that his problem was that he was simply crazy and abused drugs. The cure for brain injury is complete and total rest for several months. Johnny never got that. Instead, he was pushed and bullied through an insensitive and heartless justice system, which does more harm than good. Despite that, his light shone brightly. There was a time when he was able to mainly rest for a month or so at Ridgeview Ranch up in the mountains. He was getting better. He was making plans for a return to show business through stage acting. He was talking to directors. He was writing. He made a deal with the district attorney. His freedom for time served, just a couple more days in jail and that would be it. The couple days turned into two more months. Jail is not a healthy place as you can imagine. I saw him every week, tried to keep his spirits up while I could tell he was putting on an act, trying to keep my spirits up. That's the way he was, always thinking of others before himself. 
While in jail, he would sometimes write poems for inmates' sweethearts, just as a favor. Some of those guys in jail are not very literate, so Johnny would write to their loved ones on their behalf. Johnny was and is a bright light, and like too many bright lights, he was extinguished prematurely by the misunderstanding and arrogance of smaller beings. Our family feels gutted and hollowed out, like the best and most beautiful part of us is gone. But he left behind two nearly complete novels, a good draft of a screenplay, and many poems. We feel blessed by these, and we feel that on many levels he is still with us, watching and caring and sometimes communicating. We have decided to replace any bitterness we feel with love and reverence for his memory, and with a determination that his beautiful words that he left us will see the light of day. Thank you for your kind and thoughtful letter. Sincerely, Michael Lewis. Again, I wanted you guys to read that because I wanted you to see Johnny's family side of things. Rest in peace to Kathy and also her beloved cat, Jesse. I hope Johnny has found peace as well in the afterlife. What he did during his time here on Earth was truly terrible. That's it for this week, and I'll see you all again soon. Take care, and much love to you all.